Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. This week's report is a teaching rather than the news. But don't go away because what I have to teach here will help you to decipher and understand the news so you can escape what is coming. My job as a wall watchman is to prepare Yahweh's people for the tribulation that is coming whether that is sooner or later. Hearing the news each week is the least of that preparation. The real preparation is internal and spiritual. Having correct doctrine is paramount. Yeshua's kingdom is a nation, not a religion. I keep saying that, but I think it's hard for believers to make that paradigm shift. It is hard to stop being a religious adherent to being a patriotic and obedient citizen of biblical Israel who is even willing to lay down one's life for the kingdom as many people are preparing to do for America. That Yeshua's kingdom is a nation is just the first of the paradigm shifts you have to make. The next shift has to do with understanding exactly who Yeshua is. Our people are falling into a trap when trying to get out of a trap. The trap they're trying to get out of is the Trinity false doctrine and the trap they are falling into is the trap that teaches Yeshua is not God in the flesh. In this way of thinking, God is either three or one, meaning alone. Some believers see no other option. Now, I did a four-part teaching and wrote a short book on this subject, so I won't revisit that here. However, I suggest that you read and or listen to that. Today, I want to submit two understandings about Yeshua for your consideration. The first is about Yeshua's relationship to his father. The second is about his messiahship that I hope will clear up the dichotomy between three and one. Afterward, I will have some information on the nature of the coming Jewish Messiah whom we know will be the Antichrist. Things you need to look for. This trap keeps coming up in my talks with people. I will ask, is Yeshua God in the flesh? And they will respond in various ways. And then, almost invariably, will say, He didn't pray to himself, that implying that he is not God, and they are right. He did not pray to himself. However, this fact proves he is God, not that he is not God. We need to understand the cultural context in which the scriptures were written. One important context has to do with sovereigns and vassals. The Heavenly Father 
is the sovereign over Yahweh the Son. Besides the Psalms 110 verse 1 reference where Yahweh said to Adonai, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which plainly has one aspect of God talking to another aspect of God. There is another way to look at Yeshua praying to the Father. That has to do with relationship as understood in the ancient Near East culture. Let's first look at the ancient cultural context of sovereign vassal king relationships. Joseph and Pharaoh illustrate the kind of relationship that Yeshua has to our father. Pharaoh was the sovereign but Joseph was Pharaoh's vassal and had all of Pharaoh's authority. This is the way all ancient Near East kingdoms were set up. Any nations whose kings joined with the Egyptians, either through treaty or through war, became vassals. During the reign of Thutmose III, the Egyptian army went as far as the Euphrates, establishing an empire in Canaan. These territories became vassals of Egypt. Some examples of this are Amuru and Byblos, Damascus and Kadesh. The kings of those nations were vassals in subjection to the sovereign, Pharaoh. Think of this sovereign vassal condition in biblical terms. Yeshua has a father and Yeshua has always been in the number two or vassal position. The Genesis account begins with a plural God creating everything. The word for the God of creation is Elohim. Literally there is more than one God entity involved in creation. There is a word for a single God as well. That word is El. The Genesis creation account tells us that there was more than one deity present at the creation and they worked together in perfect unity. The Father and the Son were the two which made up the plural Elohim. The word Elohim is understood singularly throughout the scripture, even though it is clearly plural, because of their unity. The singularness of our Elohim, the Sovereign, and his vassal, comes from the fact that they were so perfectly unified that there is no need to identify each one separately. They never disagree with each other and their natures are exactly alike. They are indistinguishable singularities so alike that speaking to one is to speak to the other. Thinking of one is to think about the other. Let me say it the way we would in modern English. Our L, our God, is actually L's, God's, plural in English. English uses the S 
rather than ohim at the end of the word to indicate the plurality of our God but plurality there is there is no other way to understand this word because the Hebrew also uses the singular L throughout the Tanakh so Elohim is two the dastardly and false trinity doctrine though slips a third and separate entity into the mix that entity is not a separate entity as are the sovereign and the vassal and it does not exist separately it exists because of the sovereign and the vassal's unity the Holy Spirit is the evidence of their unity the sovereign exists separately from the vassal and the vassal exists separately from the sovereign but the third entity the Holy Spirit does not exist separately the Holy Spirit is not a self-existent entity at all the Holy Spirit is the combined set apart spirit of the two of them together and we have the example of this in a marriage Yahweh uses marriage examples a lot one way for us to understand the Holy Spirit is for us to look at a married couple there is a type and shadow of the sovereign vassal relationship in marriage the husband is the sovereign and the wife is the vassal furthermore the husband had a spirit before he married his wife and the wife had a spirit before she married her husband each had a separate spirit and they still have separate spirits but their separate spirits together create yet another spirit that represents the both of them as a single echad unit the Hebrew word echad means a unity it does not mean one as in alone a nation can be one nation yet a nation is hundreds thousands or millions of people we must stop allowing the enemy to deceive our minds by confusing one with alone when two or more are gathered as in marriage or in prayer together as one they are echad and they create a spirit in that moment these spirits are temporary but the father and the son's holy spirit is eternal because they are eternal the sovereign can act on his own and the vassal can act on his own if he is acting within the boundaries and the lawfulness set by the sovereign in the case of the heavenly sovereign and his vassal Yeshua the sovereign can continue ruling and reigning from heaven while his vassal Yeshua 
leaves his vassal throne in heaven temporarily to take a human body to fulfill the requirements of the divine promise to die for his people made in Genesis 15. The vassal, while on the earth, may only act within the will of his sovereign who remains the universal sovereign in heaven. In fact, this is what Yeshua repeatedly said about himself, is it not? The vassal does nothing without the sovereign's approval. And when Yeshua said he and the Father were one, he was saying they are united in their agenda for their creation, and that he is one of the two in the word Elohim. But their Holy Spirit, the Father's and the Son's united spirit, cannot act on its own apart from the two of them in the way that they can act apart from each other, performing different functions and doing different things apart from each other. Nor does the Holy Spirit have separate existence from the two of them. Sovereigns and vassals talk to each other. Husbands and wives talk to each other. Yeshua talked to his sovereign from the earth the way he would have talked with the sovereign while sitting on his vassal throne both before and after his sojourn on the earth. The fact that he was acting in the capacity of the vassal doing the will of the sovereign that no one else was doing proves that he is one of the plural Elohim from creation. Our plural Elohim is our singular God. This is why John speaks of Yeshua as being the creator in John 1. Yeshua took human form under the direction of the sovereign with whom he had made a promise at the covenant of the pieces in Genesis 15. As the vassal, he had promised to die like the split animals they both walked through. If his people broke the covenant he made with his sovereign, that covenant is the one that formalized their unified plans to create the nation of biblical Israel. Another cultural context has to do with fathers and grandfathers. Modern culture distinguishes between fathers and fathers of fathers by calling the immediate relative father and the next generation grandfather. The third generation is great-grandfather and there are then the great-great-grandfathers and the great-great-great-grandfathers and so forth. This is not how the ancient Near East culture referred to our patriarchal relatives. Our father, the one who begot us, is our father. But his father is also our father in scripture. There is no grand or great father. There is only father to reference them all. Here is a New Testament reference to prove this point. 
First Corinthians 10.1 Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now Paul lived over 1500 years after the Red Sea Exodus. Yet here he is saying all our fathers passed through that sea. And in our time we are 3500 years past that event. And still this scripture applies. Those men who escaped from Pharaoh through the Red Sea are our fathers. They are not grandfathers or great grandfathers. Now, fit the sovereign vassal understanding with the father's understanding. Yeshua prayed to his father. But who is his father to us? In our modern language, Yeshua's father is our grandfather. Now we don't use this because it destroys the con- the cultural context of the scriptures and detracts from the sacredness of both Yeshua and his which is our father also. Nonetheless, grandfather in our modern cultural context is how we can understand who Yeshua's father is to us. The Trinity pagan doctrine has brought nothing but confusion. It is based on the religions of the Gentiles, the nations, whose trinities are based on Nimrod's Babylonian trinity of mother, father, and son. And I will have another very telling fact to explain later on, so hang in here with me. We are not Gentiles. We are Israelites, not to be confused with the word Israeli from the modern UN created political state of Israel, which is not biblical Israel at all. And our God is not a pagan deity with a trinity. Our Elohim, our two gods that are referred to singularly as one, Echad in Hebrew, bear no similarities to pagan deities at all. Our Elohim are both a sovereign king and a vassal king. And the vassal king's sovereign is also his father. And his father is also our father. There are not three entities or deities in Elohim. There are two only. And they are in a hierarchy. Father, sovereign king, and son, vassal king. Now, why am I presenting this in the news? It is because people who do not believe Yeshua is God will not believe he can save them during the tribulation. And this will cause them to accept the Jewish Messiah as their Messiah. I'm going to talk about him in a little bit. They will see with their eyes and hear with their ears a man who says he is God 
and they will believe him rather than believe Yeshua. John 5.43 I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name him you will receive. People will receive the coming Jewish Messiah who comes in his own name. Don't be deceived. Part of the deception is this very issue of Yeshua's deity. Second Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Part of the deception is that Yeshua is not God. If Yeshua is not God, then why does the Antichrist need to prove himself to be God? If the Jews do not believe their Messiah must be God, then why will the Antichrist prove he is God by sitting on God's throne? Do you see the deception? The need to prove oneself to be God is because there is a God that has to be disproven. And that one is Yeshua. The way the Antichrist will finally show the world that Yeshua is not God is by making himself to be the fulfillment of the God that the Jews know very well must sit on the throne in the temple. Why? Because Ezekiel had a vision in which Yahweh told him whose throne was in the temple. Ezekiel 43 starting at verse 2. And behold the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east and his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Kebar, and I fell upon my face. And the glory of Yahweh came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up, brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And I heard him speaking to me out of the house, and the man stood by me. And he said to me, Son of man, the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile neither they nor their kings by their whoredom nor by the carcasses of their kings in their high places the place of Yahweh's throne will be the temple Ezekiel described It will be Yeshua the Messiah who will rightly occupy that throne. He is the only one worthy to do so. But this is the throne that the Jewish Antichrist must sit on to prove to the world that he 
is God. He is Satan's representative. Isaiah 14:13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. That's Temple Mount. That's where the temple is. Don't be deceived. Deception is already happening in the world today as a setup to trap those who reject Yeshua as God in the flesh even before the Antichrist appears. We need more than cultural context from the Bible. You know, the sovereign vassal, father, son context to understand why Yeshua is the Messiah of all Israel. Understanding the Messiah of all Israel is the reason we were given the prophecies. Every prophecy somehow involves Yeshua, either directly or indirectly. Luke 18.31 Then he took to him the twelve and said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Luke 24.44 And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Hebrews 10.7 Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Not only all of the prophecies are about Yeshua, but so is all the law of Moses. In the account of Moses are three critical miracles that Yeshua performed which prove him to be the one who would be sent to save Israel. Deuteronomy 18:15-19 Yahweh your Elohim will raise up to you a prophet from the midst of you of your brethren like me unto him you shall listen according to all that you desired of Yahweh your Elohim in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my Elohim neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not and the Lord said to me they have well spoken that which they have spoken I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like you Moses I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken to my words which he shall speak in my name I will require it of him Yahweh said he would give us a prophet who would be like both Yahweh and Moses this particular prophet would be like no other he would be both God and mediator and teacher of the law like Moses these are not two different prophets but one prophet who is both God 
Deuteronomy 18.15 and man Deuteronomy 18.18 this passage speaks of one entity fulfilling both roles Peter explains this in Acts starting at verse 11 and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John all the people ran together to them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering and when Peter saw it he answered to the people you men of Israel why marvel you at this or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob the God of our fathers has glorified his son Yeshua whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go but you denied the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know yea the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all and now brethren I wot that through ignorance you did it as did also your rulers but those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ Yeshua HaMashiach should suffer he has so fulfilled repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Yeshua HaMashiach which before was preached to you whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began for Moses truly said to the fathers a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up to you of your brethren like unto me him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say to you and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people yea and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying to Abraham and in your seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed unto you first God having raised up his son Yeshua sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities Yeshua fulfilled being the one like Yahweh and the one like Moses Yahweh said the prophet like himself and Moses would teach the law of Moses because the law of Moses is the law of Yahweh given to Moses to teach the people Exodus 24:12 And Yahweh said to Moses Come up to me in the mount and be there and I will give you tables of stone and a law and commandments which I 
have written that you may teach them. Not only did Yeshua teach the law of Moses, but he fulfilled Moses' miracles. Yahweh gave three signs to Moses that Yeshua fulfilled. And Yeshua is the only one who ever performed the same signs as Moses. So what are the three signs that Yahweh gave to Moses and that Yeshua also performed? Sign number one, controlling the spirit, turning water to blood. Exodus 4, 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, Yahweh has not appeared to you. And Yahweh said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And Yahweh said to Moses, Put forth your hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that Yahweh Elohim of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And he used it to turn water into blood. Exodus 7.15 Get you to Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's brink against him he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. This is for a purpose. Exodus 7.20 And Moses and Aaron did so as Yahweh commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. Now Yeshua filled, fulfilled this sign when he controlled the serpent in the desert at the end of his fast. Matthew four ten and 11. Then said Yeshua to him, Get you hence, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. After controlling the serpent, you know, in those three temptations, Yeshua then took that same control and turned water into wine. This is the same sequence of Moses. First, controlling the spirit by the rod, the law. And then, turning water into wine, which is symbolic of blood. John records it as the beginning of miracles by Yeshua. John 2.1 And on the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Yeshua was there. And both Yeshua was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Yeshua said to him, They have no wine. Yeshua said to her, Woman, what have I to do with you? My hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he says to you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Yeshua said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. 
And he said to them, Draw out now, and bear to the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said to him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Yeshua in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Notice that Yeshua reacted just like Moses who answered Yahweh saying he had uncircumcised lips and made excuses about going to Pharaoh where he finally performed the water into blood miracle. Yeshua's reticence to do as Mary asked him has the same sense of reluctance that Moses had. In every detail, Yeshua is showing himself to be the prophet like Moses. Sign number two, instant healing of leprosy. Exodus 4, 6. And the Lord said furthermore to him, Put now your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe you, neither listen to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither listen to your voice, that you shall take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which you take out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Yeshua healed the leper. Matthew 8.2 And behold there came a leper and worshipped him saying Lord if you will you can make me clean. And Yeshua put forth his hand and touched him saying I will be you clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Sign number three being lifted up. Numbers 21.8 says, And Yahweh said to Moses, Make you a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. Moses made the fiery serpent, and lifted it up on a pole. The people looked up at it, and lived. Yeshua is the only prophet in scripture who was lifted up on a pole in this manner. He told the disciples this would happen. John 3.14 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 12.32 And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. There are many over the last two millennia who have claimed to be the prophet and Messiah who would have deceived Yahweh's people. Knowing whether or not a man is the one should not be a matter of belief but of scriptural fact. 
Therefore, the litmus test of who is the one like Moses, but also has the words of Yahweh in his mouth, and who is like Yahweh, is easily determined by discovering if the man has such control of the rod, the word, that he can control Satan and turn water into wine, heal leprosy instantly, and is willing to be lifted up on a pole for his people. Another reason Yeshua is the Messiah of all Israel is because he came to restore biblical Israel, the twelve tribed Israel that he created at Mount Sinai, Matthew 10.6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 15.24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We speak of this as being the northern tribes that were exiled into Assyria, but it actually speaks of all twelve tribes. Some Jews remained behind in Babylon during the Babylonian captivity. James wrote to all twelve tribes that were scattered abroad. James 1.1 James, a servant of God and of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Matthew 18.11 For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Also, see Luke 19, verse 10. Yeshua came to save all that had been lost. What was lost? Israel. All twelve tribes. The Jews had not done the Father's will for hundreds of years when Yeshua was walking on the earth. So they were also lost. But Yeshua would have victory over that loss and would proclaim so. John 18, 8 and 9. Yeshua answered, he's talking to the Pharisees, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke. Of them which you gave me, have I lost none. Yeshua said his father had given the father's sheep into his, Yeshua's, hand. And that by doing so, they became Yeshua's sheep. John 10.27-30 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave me them which gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. See, these sheep belong to the Father, and the Father gave them to Yeshua. They hear Yeshua's voice, and they follow him, which means they follow follow the Father as well. And then he says in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Echad. When did the Father give his sheep to Yeshua? 
at the creation, at the foundation of the world. The father gave his sheep to Yeshua because Yeshua agreed to be slain like a lamb at the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8 And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Talking about the the people worshiping the beast whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb which was slain from the foundation of the world this arrangement was made at the beginning of the creation the one and only question we have from the disciples after Yeshua's resurrection is found in Acts 1 now he was with them for 40 days but we only get this one question answered is it not probable that they asked him a lot of questions during this time of course but the only question and answer is also the most paramount one because it proves the reason Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel and no one else Acts 1, 6, and 7. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. You see, Yeshua came to restore the kingdom of Israel, but the timing of it is according to the Father's will, not his. As the vassal, Yeshua submits to his sovereign Father's will. Now, what is the definition of the kingdom of Israel? Well, twelve tribes, all living in the land of Abraham's inheritance. That's from Genesis straight through to the end of the book there is though a man coming who will proclaim himself to be the Jewish Messiah and the Jews right now are talking a lot about this man that's coming but I tell you that Yeshua is not the Jewish Messiah being the Jewish Messiah falls short of Yeshua's mission even though Judaism's Jewish Messiah will fulfill the Jewish false doctrine of their Messiah from com comes this Talmudic explanation of the Jewish Messiah and here are some excerpts the final Messiah will be a normal human being born of human parents the Messiah will be mortal he will eventually die and bequeath his kingdom to his son or his successor well Yeshua is eternal because he is God but the Messiah of the Talmud is mortal the final Messiah will be the greatest leader and political genius that the world has ever seen he will likewise be the wisest man ever to have lived he will put these extraordinary talents to use to precipitate a worldwide revolution which will bring perfect social justice to humanity Yeshua was not the greatest leader in scripture he had few 
followers. Nor did he purport himself to be a political man. He said he was the prophet and the son of God, not a politician. The Jewish Messiah, being the wisest man who ever lived, still will fall short of Yahweh's standard because this man will be of the world. Psalms 49.10 For he sees that wise men die. Likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Romans 1.22 Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The Jewish Messiah will bring a worldwide revolution based on social justice. That revolution is already happening. And it is based on man's idea of justice called social justice, which comes directly out of the Kabbalah. I have written about how the Russian form of communism from the Bolshevik Revolution appealed to the Russian Jews who proclaimed that communism fits the Kabbalah. The Messiah will use his power to determine to which tribe every Jew belongs. He will then divide the land of Israel into land inheritances with each tribe receiving its portion. He will begin with the tribe of Levi determining the legitimacy of each Kohen and Levite. To those who are looking for restoration of all 12 tribes, this looks like the possibility of all 12 tribes, but it is not. The Jews claim that there are only four tribes, Judah, Levi, Simeon, and Benjamin, along with the few families from the northern tribes who came to join them after the kingdom split, who comprise the Jewish population. The rabbis say that there were not enough people from those northern tribes for them to claim those tribes are part of the house of Judah Jews. So the partition of the land and determining which tribe every Jew belongs to is to place every person who is from a tribe back into that tribe and to place every Ephraimite from the north into one of the four tribes. This is not a 12 tribe restoration. In the Messianic era, Many non-Jews will feel compelled to convert to Judaism as the prophet foretold. I will then give all the peoples a pure tongue that they may call in the name of God and all serve him in one matter. Zephaniah 3.9 Once the Messiah has revealed himself, however, converts will no longer be accepted. The Jewish push for converts to Judaism is in full swing right now in the form of conversion to Judaism in some cases and to Noahidism for the rest. The Jews actually prefer Gentiles to convert to Noahidism and they call everybody who is a non-Jew a Gentile and they actively reject converts to Judaism but allow that if the Gentile insists Noahidism is the category for Gentile converts to Judaism once the Antichrist is revealed 
it will be too late to stop his wrath against those who refuse to convert and or those who insist on proclaiming Yeshua is the Messiah and God and King of Israel. The Jewish people will thus be established as the spiritual and moral teachers of all mankind. At that time, Jerusalem will become the spiritual capital of the world. Now, the other name for that spiritual capital is Mystery Babylon. President Donald Trump opened the way for this to happen. In the confusing Talmudic teachings comes this from Jews for Judaism. It says there will be a period of about seven years of terrible famines and other troubles. The land of Israel will at that time be under non-Jewish control and a leader of the tribe of Ephraim will arise to lead militarily against these nations who control Jerusalem he will be successful but after his initial victory he will die in battle this will cause a great mourning and many will lose faith at that time still within the seven years the Moshiach Ben David will be revealed he shall finish the battle after which he will resurrect all the dead starting with the Moshiach Ben Yosef the Jews know there is a Messiah ben Yosef and a Messiah ben David they say these are two separate men the Old and New Testaments say that they are the same person the Jews rejected Yeshua so they had to make up another doctrine about the Messiah this is why Yeshua said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees Judaism is full of lies which lead to sin the greatest of which is to deny Yeshua as Messiah God and King of twelve tribed Israel in favor of a Messiah that is only a man a God usurper and King of only four tribes of Israel a risen savior was a first century doctrine that became changed only by the fourth century you may find it surprising to know the Jews expected a divine messiah in the first century according to orthodox Jew Daniel Boyerine it wasn't until the 4th century the same century as the Nicene Council that Judaism and Christianity really began to split so up to that time God in the flesh a divine Messiah was a Jewish doctrine Boyerine says more than this in his book The Jewish Gospels The Story of the Jewish Christ published in 2012 the basic underlying thoughts from which both the Trinity and the Incarnation grew are there in the very world into which Yeshua was born says the JC.com in its forward comments to Boyerine's book this means that the Trinity doctrine is actually Jewish coming from the Jews time in Babylon this false doctrine was then amplified in Christianity 
Paul the Apostle was able to show from the Tanakh that the Jews knew about the divine Messiah even though they were rejecting Yeshua. Acts 17.2 And Paul, as his manner was, went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Yeshua Mashiach must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Yeshua whom I preach to you is Mashiach Paul knew what he was talking about and Paul was a Torah scholar furthermore the Jewish Messiah the Antichrist will do away with all seven feasts of Yahweh if you are in Hebrew roots and are keeping the feasts of Yahweh instead of the Christian Christmas and Easter, this news should shock you. According to the Talmudic Yalkut Shimoni, a compilation of rabbinic commentary on the Bible believed to have been composed in the 13th century states that all the holidays will be canceled in the future but the days of Purim will never be cancelled an article published by Israel 365 on December 9th 2020 says after the final redemption all the holidays will be diminished or disappear except for Hanukkah and Purim the two holidays that have no basis in the Torah Purim and Hanukkah are exclusively Jewish man-made festivals. Even so, they have prophetic value for us at the end. The Israel 365 article continues, In the future, all sacrifices, with the exception of the Thanksgiving sacrifice, will be discontinued. That's according to the Midrash Vayikra Rabbah 9.7. Well, Ezekiel must be a false prophet because he lists also other sacrifices in the coming temple. But let's see what Yahweh, through Moses, had to say about this. Deuteronomy 4.2 You shall not add to the word which I command you neither shall you diminish anything from it that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your Elohim which I command you the Talmud's purpose is to add to Yahweh's commandments not only do they add to the commandments but they teach you to worship another God their version of the Messiah The entire chapter of Deuteronomy 13 is about what to do with the false prophet who teaches you to worship another god. What do you do? You kill him. Finally, the coming Jewish Messiah will be their perverted version of God and man combined. Satan's fallen angels, the demons, were worshipped as gods. Those demons tried to create divine human beings that later would be written about in literature that is considered mythical. The combination of demon, you know, God, and human is the mimicry of Yahweh's combination of Elohim's Holy Spirit and Mary.
The end result for the demon man combination was Nephilim. The Talmud in Sanhedrin 97a describes how the Nephilim will return as a part of the messianic process. In the Talmud's discussion between Rob Nachman and Rav Yitzhak, Rob, Rabbi Yitzhak asks uh, Rabbi Nachman, "Do you know when Bar Nafli, the son of the, fa- uh, the fallen, rather, will come?" Rav Yitzhak asks. Rav Nachman replies, "It is Messiah." The Jewish Messiah will be a Nephilim, according to the Talmud, half demon, half human. Rabbi Nachman bases his answer on a verse from Amos which connects Nephilet, the fallen, with the return of the house of David. In that day I will set up again the fallen booth of David. I will amend its breaches and set up its ruins anew. I will build it firm as in the days of old. Amos 9.11 Bar Nafli in the Talmud clearly refers to specific people who both Rav Yitzhak and Rav Nachman have heard of and who Rav Nachman connects with the coming of the Messiah. As noted previously, the Hebrew word nafal translates as fall, but here in the Talmud the word is nephil in Aramaic. Aramaic. In the language of the Talmud, nafli means giant. It is interesting to note that in Gematria, Hebrew numerology, the words bar nafli, the son of the fallen, equals 372. The same as Ben Yeshai, the son of Jesse, connecting the return of the Davidic dynasty with the appearance of the bar nafli, a coming Nephilim. Here is the quote from Safaria Org's online Talmud. You can go there. I have presented here just some of the scriptural facts about Yeshua's deity, his godness. Please go to the Messianic Message to listen to and or read my teaching called Is Yeshua God in the Flesh for more. Now you can download the audio and the book from there. Luke 16.31 And he said to him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What does this teaching have to do with the news? Well, knowing the news will not help you escape the coming Jewish Antichrist if you are not firmly fixed in the knowledge that only Yeshua is the true Messiah and that he is God and rightful King of Israel. If you don't get this, or if you reject that Yeshua is God in the flesh, you will perish so before I can tell you the news and what it means within the confines of prophecy I have to tell you about the deceptions that are afoot that will trap you otherwise why waste my breath on the news that's it for this Beast Watch News update this is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off 
Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.